Well, happy <laughs> Halloween, Jen. Oh, my God. Happy anniversary. Oh, it is our anniversary. Tomorrow's our anniversary, but then it'll be, this is our, technically when this comes out, will it'll be the first of a new year. It'll be episode yeah, right. 50, almost 53. Yeah, we had a little. I don't think it is episode 53, but. It is in our hearts. We started Halloween, which, I mean, frankly, was awesome. What yeah. a What a great choice for us. <laughs> Our first podcast was released on Halloween 2018. Yeah. And tomorrow is Halloween 2019. Yes. So happy anniversary, friend. It's like going to be all Souls Day, too. It's a very Catholic holiday, so we can also be on brand the day after. <laughs> day of the Dead. Some places, right? That's right. Um, I am very happy that we have made it a full year. I am, too. One Full rotation around the sun. It feels, of course, like 800,000 years, but sure, one year. <laughs> well, not to us. Right. To us, it feels like, where the fuck is Monroe? Is what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you just going there. <laughs> we don't know. Don't text we us. We don't know. Don't, you guys, don't ask we, us. Don't we don't know. We, we don't want know. it to. Yeah. We want it to. <laughs> I love that people think we have some sort of inside track. We're just fangirls. I know we're fl- we're fielding a lot of emails <laughs> and like texts and like tweets and stuff. We have no idea. None. We when when you know, we will know. Yeah. Probably you'll I, know before. You'll someone will I tell us. I have a vision. I have this like dream that she's going to drop it like Beyoncé. Oh, I would love that. I hope so. Anyway, welcome everyone to Fate of Mates. I'm Sarah McLean, and I write romance novels, and I read romance novels, and you are listening uh, to our one-year anniversary. That's right. I'm Jen Plopop. I'm a romance critic and reader and excellent Twitterer. Twitterer. Excellent Twitterer. I'm excellent at the Twitter. Very modest. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's all sorts of things I'm terrible at, like Facebook and Instagram, so, you know. Speaking of Facebook, we forgot to say this on the last episode, but we'll put links in the show notes to my, about a million years ago, I started a Facebook romance reading group. Um, And at the time it was called the Old School Romance Book Club. And we were basically reading uh, the books that blooded me (laughs) in those early days. Our first, um, our first book was Jude Devereaux's A Knight in Shining Armor. Old school. Like 10,000 years ago. And now it's not called the Old School Romance Book Club because we don't just talk about old school romance anymore. We talk about romance novels in general. And it's a super duper active Facebook group. So it if is. you're there, you should join Old School, which is which you can find by searching OSRBC on Facebook or clicking the link that we will put in show notes. But there's a reason why I'm saying this, and it's not just promotion of this group. Um, it is because on Wednesdays now, I didn't want to we didn't want to start. We heard your we heard your requests, everybody. We know the Wicked Wallflowers and Heaving Bosoms people and Learning the Tropes people who love Facebook and love those groups on Facebook want a Faded Mates group. Um, but it's a lot. Yeah. And also, Facebook's kind of garbage these days. <laughs> I mean, every yeah. time I see Mark Zuckerberg's face, I just get mad. Oh, so same. Um, Mark Zuckerberg will never buy our podcast. <laughs> I'll never allow it. Never. That's a lie. I'll totally allow it if there's a lot of money on the table. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, but if you are on Facebook, you can join OSRBC, which is the Facebook group. And on Wednesday mornings, Jen or I will put up a Facebook post on that group for discussion. Um, so you can, as an added bonus, you're a member of this like bananas in romance group where basically if you ever if there's ever any book or trope that you're looking for you can just ask for it there and yeah i mean it's a great group there's no need for us to make a new one we're gonna fold you into the existing one yeah if you don't mind uh that's what we're gonna do anyway so that's that housekeeping (laughs) sarah it's time time to get to it tell us about I'm so excited. Uh, Sierra Simone, by the way, is texting me constantly freaking out. She's so worried you don't like her anymore. Well, I'm worried she doesn't like me. (laughs) And I said to her, it's not first person present. I don't know what your problem is. Can I just tell you, I was so relieved. I saw that Sinner was because I tried the, I was like, oh, but this was first person past. Is Sinner first person present? I don't even know. I do. (laughs) I've read that book like four times. I don't know. Well, there you go. The book this week is Priest. Fleabag lovers. <laughs> have you watched it yet? I have not. I, I'm going to tell you it's miraculous, literally. I know. In the truest sense of the word. I don't watch TV, but I was like, oh, shit, Sarah's seen this. It's about well, a sexy priest. I better watch it. So I got it. I got are, you covered. Uh, y'all are going to be very disappointed in me, or at least some of you are, but. I mean, I think a lot of you will expect this of me, but I immediately, uh, when there was a whole sexy priest thing, I immediately went online to find out if it was a happily ever after, so I know (laughs) the ending. Um, And it does sound like it's great, so I'm very excited. Um, But I highly recommend you all going, if you need a happily ever after, go check the boards (laughs) before you move forward. Yeah, no kidding. Um, So anyway... All right, I'm going to introduce Priest to you. So, um, gosh, I don't know. I don't even know it was published in when. I don't even know when it was published. We should know this. It came out in, oh, June 29th, 2015. Okay. So it's summer of 2015, and the other Jen Reads Romance, Jen Porter, comes online on Twitter and is like, holy bananas, there is this book. <laughs> it is a priest book. I am dying. Now, what you need to know about Jen Porter and I is we go way back. She read Nine Rules like before it even came out. Um, she was she was one of the first people who received an arc of Nine Rules from HarperCollins, and she loved Nine Rules. I didn't and know that. So That's so cool. Since then, we have been friendly, like in the sense of like she's a reviewer and she, you know, sometimes says nice things about my books. But we've met, and the first time we ever met, we realized that we were kind of we were very simpatico when it came to romance novels. Like we like the same books. Same for the most. Yeah, I'm like if I ever needed like. A specific, very specific kind of real dirty recommendation. Like, she is so there for me, and yeah, I love her for she's it. She's got us. Like, she is a heart, like, a hardcore romance lover in our, like, we come from the same strand of romance DNA. Yes. Yes. So, um, when she was like, this is bananas, the... Young baby Sarah from the early 80s who watched the Thornbirds <laughs> around the corner after being sent to bed. Like, I'm sure you're out there. You're out there, uh, 
Thornbirds babies. <laughs> but basically, my parents would send me to bed, and then they would watch the Thornbirds on TV, which was completely inappropriate for me because, obviously, and I was, what, like four or five, and I would sneak back down the stairs. I mean, it's so classic, right? Sarah, who hid gentle, gentle rogue in her geography textbook, um, also would sneak back down the, the stairs of my parents' house and, like, peep through the slats in the in the stairway, in the, like— in the in the stairs to watch the thornbirds like over my dad's shoulder wow. like on the tv so this is obvious so that it, richard chamberlain just like imprinted on me these <laughs> like this like dirty like guilt-ridden priest um and the thornbirds does not have a happily ever after because obviously right but whatever and so the thornbirds like thorn, thornbird sarah just like raised her little baby head and was like, what? Dirty priest? What? And so oh. I bought it instantly and read it instantly. And yeah. I can see myself, you know, we talk about the books that blooded us. We talk about the books that taught us things about how romance could be written. And I literally can remember there are there are a handful of romance novels that I can remember where I was when mm. I read them. Yeah. Um, Lord of Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet Ruin. Yeah. And Priest. And I know I can actually remember, like, I can, like, picture myself on my couch in my living room going, like, this book (laughs) is absolutely bonkers. And I love every word. And who is this woman? Yeah. Like, and so literally I texted Sophie Jordan instantly. And I was like, so I was like, who is this person? And then she immediately read the priest and was like, you're absolutely right. This is a person. This is not a debut novel. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- who is this person? And so we had a whole list running <laughs> of, like, the historical romance writers who no longer sort of write anymore. And we thought, like, I was like, this person definitely has, like, a historical bent to her. It turns out this is not Sierra Simone's debut either. She wrote a series of books called, oh, it's a retelling of Jane Eyre. I'll pull the title. Of course, I don't remember right now. You know, on brand. It's okay. The Education of Ivy Leavold or something. Um, But anyway, so she wrote – so, but it doesn't matter. Point is, I was, like, convinced this was a person. And we couldn't figure it out. And our friend Carrie Ryan started tracking her through, like, very obscure, like, internet ways. And we couldn't figure out who she was. And so finally, I just sent an email to, like, Sierra at SierraSimone.com. And I was like, who? And I, the email basically read, like, who, who are, are you? you? <laughs> like, because don't fuck with me. I know romance novels and I know you're not just like a some newbie. Fly yeah, right. Like, and she wrote me back. And um, turns out she, it is another, it is a name that it, of another writer, but I didn't know. I didn't know who she was. And I felt very disappointed, but also so delighted that like I had found this new writer who had like, transform the way in my mind romance could be written like first person I think was part of it Mm -hmm. entire like thoroughly hero POV like exclusive hero POV yeah a lot of things that I would never have necessarily considered deeply erotic romance about a priest like there was a lot going on in this book that I had never really thought too hard about and so for me this is why when we made our lists I was like Mm -hmm. priest has to be on it now full disclosure Sierra is now my friend because I stalked her as you all know because I think I told this story before I stalked her into being my friend 
And so um, I'm we're going to talk because I'm going to we are going to like we're going to get into how the book works and how the book doesn't work, just like always. But I just want everybody to know I love her very much. As you know, she's been on the podcast before. We think she's brilliant. Um, I think Jen still thinks she's brilliant. Absolutely. I think um, she's brilliant. But she's very nervous because she's like, there's so many things in this book that are not Jen's thing. You know, <laughs> and I think that's true. Yeah, so it is true. And it's should, always, yeah. I think you should, would you like me to tell everybody about the book? Itself? Yeah. No, I I do. I think before we start, I guess I want to say this is um, – yeah, like, it's really funny. I was like, oh, yeah, God, I love everything about her. Like, it's like if somebody was – I'm trying to, like, put up, like, a name to it. It's like literally, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this person's writing style. I love the way she writes. I love how, like, interior it is. But, like, what she writes about, which is politics and cops and priests, is, like, three things I hate reading about. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. And I think our last, uh, oh, a future episode, we talk about like star crossed. What does it mean to be star crossed? And I thought, you know, that's like the best way to describe it. Like, we're just star crossed. I admire her brilliance, even though like the likelihood is that a lot of her books, because of what they're about, are just not books I, mm-hmm. for me. And that doesn't mean I can't talk about what this book does really well. And I also yes. think it's a really, mm-hmm. I mean, interesting dive into like, you know, like there's like, like reader response, which is like the text is what it is. The reader brings who they are to it. And therefore, some books are never going to work for people, even if they're technically brilliant, because that's how reading is. And that's okay too. Yes. So I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. So the first, so by the way, the, the series um, is Markham Hall, the Jane Eyre, the retelling of Jane Eyre. Um, the first book is called The Awakening of Ivy Leavold. It's basically like if you are a Jane Eyre fan and you ever wanted it to just be like I'm pure like, erotica, I mean, this know, is I'm the all series like, for you. I was literally like, how is this? How is she writing about things? I'm all like, Jane Eyre, what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, so here's the thing. I think that what Sierra does best in her writing is she takes on she's she seems to have a fascination with institutional power, right? Right. Institutional power within institutional structures. So police officors, uh, presidents, yeah, um, priests, things that begin with P, penises. Uh, I would say it's like people like how people survive in those institutional structures right and i like it's a really interesting core story because it's one i'm also interested in but in like a totally different way and i think this book was fascinating in the way that it pushed those boundaries for me because i'm the person who's like get out (laughs) that's how you survive you get out (laughs) yep so okay priest uh we're it's all right there in the title it sure is. Um, it is an erotic romance. The main character is told from the perspective, first person past mm-hmm. perspective of the priest in question, Tyler Bell, Father Tyler Bell. Um, and he is a priest who has been the head priest of a parish um in Missouri for mm-hmm. 3 years um and he has a church there and one day he is doing confession he is holding confession 
and a woman comes into the room on the other side, the confessional uh, next to him, and he is instantly drawn to her. And it is a romance novel, an erotic romance novel that comes from there. It involves a significant amount of sex in church, Mm -hmm. um, a fair amount of power play. Tyler Bell, before he became a priest, was clearly a dom, a sexual dom, and he remains one. Um, <clears throat> Poppy, the heroine, is – we don't s- get very much from her perspective. We do get her backstory from her perspective. We get her confessions. We get her confessions. Right. Yeah. And uh, what comes – what unravels from this story um, is that Poppy has um, been an exotic dancer. She's a rich socialite who left her rich family um, and came and sort of turned. She want, always wanted to be a dancer. She lands herself in Kansas City with a kind of uh, – with an ex- exclusive men's club where she is an exotic dancer. And then she becomes like a financial person for that club. Mm-hmm. And then um, – and that's how she meets Tyler. Like she she sort of leaves the club the da- from the dancing perspective and ends up in this sort of small, sleepy Missouri town with a with a church. Um, and she's trying to work through some shit because she, over the course of her time as a dancer, um, met up with an old flame who uh, is now married, and they he they slept together once. And so she's she arrives in church to confess this particular sin. Um, and then we discover over time that Tyler has become a priest for a really interesting reason, mm-hmm. which I think is the place where we need to say we've content warned a lot of the content in this book anyway, but the content warning here is um, Tyler has become a priest because his sister was molested by their childhood priest for many years and ultimately hanged herself. Right. And uh, he found her. And while the rest of his family turned away from the church, Tyler did this really interesting thing where he turned toward it. Right. He first turned away and then he came back to the church and became a priest with the idea that he would change the institution from within. Right. There was something to save in the Catholic church and that he would become a priest to save that thing and help to reconcile with the sort of incredibly damaging legacy, but not legacy, like current events of the of the church. I think one thing I really want to talk about in terms of the setup of this book is that, because you talked about it being in first-person past, mm. the framing device on the book is that this is Tyler's confession. So mm-hmm. the book opens, yes. right, with him saying, like, this is my confession. And I like to point out that I think this is, like, a really smart move on her part because we as the readers are then constantly interrogating when Tyler is, like, forming the story of how he fell in love. Like, when we look back and tell our stories, like, the, you're essentially, like, able to pinpoint those moments and say, now that I know I'm in love with this person, these moments were holy rather than profane. And I think that it's really important that the structure of the book is Tyler is essentially confessing. Like, right, and he, he even says that. This is my confession. And so I think it's just a really important way for us to enter into the story. He's he knows what's going to happen 
Does that make sense? He knows how it's all going to turn out, even though we don't. Yeah, well, we're given – it feels like what we're actually – ultimately, Tyler does give his confession. Yes. Um, And he leaves the priesthood, obviously, because he – Right. It's a happily ever after, and that can't happen with him being a priest. Um, And so he leaves – so he gives his confession, so it does feel like the prologue of this book is the beginning of that confession. Right. Um, It's also super-duper hot. Like, there's – okay, so here's the thing. This is where Jen and I begin to diverge because because you are like this book is going to scratch a primal itch for you or it is really not. Like, I actually don't think this book is a book that like people feel mediocre about. Like, yeah. Oh, I, can I think see it's that, either sure. like you're super into the idea of a hero who is like racked with guilt and like working through his emotional struggle with like mm-hmm. himself and his identity and his like purpose and sex and like tremendous amounts of guilt or you're really not there. And I think for me, I think two things like, yes, this scratched my itch is like a escaped Catholic, which is how I like to describe myself, Um, like, and Thornbird Sarah. But it also, like, I really like a hero who is deeply broken, right? Like, deeply, fundamentally at his core, racked with guilt and shame and, like, doesn't think himself good enough for the hero. Like, the core story of a Sarah McLean novel is the hero doesn't think himself good enough for a heroine. So, like, for me, this is just, like, a Sarah McLean novel on crack. Mm-hmm. If that's, like, yeah, if that makes sense. Like, the guilt, the level of guilt that Tyler has is immense. And you either have to be there with it or not there with it. Or you're not there with it at all. Yeah, I mean, and I think, like, we talk a lot about there's this question I'm always asking a book, which is, like, what is it trying to achieve? And in this case, I think it achieves what it's trying to achieve, which is what you just described. I think this book was really digging into, it's really, yeah, the guilt and shame part, right? Like it's, we've talked before about like Charlotte Steins. It's like being trapped in a telephone booth with people Mm -hmm. falling in love. This was like being trapped in a, I don't even fucking know, a water, (laughs) yeah, right. A water bottle with somebody who's like fucking wrapped with guilt and ready to like tear themselves into shreds. This book is a hair shirt. Yeah, I want out, right? And I think the thing is about, about that, like my feeling being really different is like you, I was raised Catholic. Unlike you, I started, I mean, and this part's different. I started, I was really thinking about this. Like I started fighting Catholicism hard when I was really little. I went to Catholic schools. I went to church every weekend, right? Like I was like, and by the time I was 10 or 11, I remember like fighting with my mom about going to church. Like I was like, Mm. you make me go to that fucking school all week. I'm not going to church too. The Thornbirds thing, I remember my mom and her friends, like, I remember it being buzzworthy among, like, the, like them and being like, ew, you guys are gross. Priests are nasty. Like, I never had that. But mm-hmm. I think in that, then I, I would like to, like, then there's a story. Like, here's a formative story about my parenting, and then we'll, like, move back to the book. But I think it really illustrates, like, why I struggled. I don't think we can discuss this book without talking about this. Yeah, stuff. like, the personal stuff is so... When my son was like six or seven, and I don't know what he was watching or talking about, but he was like watching something and he came to me and he was like, what's a sin? And Sarah, it was like my proudest parenting moment 
That because, is a good one. Because I, re- and I, and I immediately, I like remember going into work and being like, you guys, the most amazing thing happened because I realized that I had spent my entire childhood well into my college years feeling that God was judging me all the time. That like, even as a little kid, like, oh shit, I'm doing bad things. And to undo that in myself took years, but to have raised a child who never thought that way that God hated him for the bad things he did was a moment where I was just, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I I still think of that moment and think I'm so proud that he doesn't feel that way about himself. And so to go back into a book that demanded, I sit with someone's weird sin guilt. I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, right. That's just not, not only is it like I spent my entire life moving away from it, I also just don't think it's, I don't, I don't even think that way at all anymore. And, and I know this is like terrible, but the example I gave Sarah was like, you know, in like the Ice Planet Barbarians where they talk about like the cooey <laughs> and you're like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Right. That's how I feel now when I hear like, you know, the, his weird Catholic guilt. It's like, you're talking about some crazy thing that doesn't even really make sense to me. And so it's though I understood that this was really how Tyler felt. It was also like repulsive to me in some ways. And that, by the way, is an achievement. I don't want to like, she achieves that. It's brilliant. But I was like, I don't like thinking this way. And I don't like you thinking this way, Tyler. Yeah, you're like, Tyler, get over it. Tyler, you didn't ever really want to be a priest, buddy. You just feel bad about your dead sister. And I think you're right. Like, this book is uh, so brilliant because there you can't feel lukewarm about this book. I can't even imagine. No. No, I think you either hate this book or really love it. Like, and, yeah. I, I did not hate it. Yeah. Not hate, but I think you're either, like, troubled by this book and struggle with it yeah. or, like, are really, like, you sort of lean into it. And I so I, um, too, grew up Catholic. Um, my, my father uh, is... Italian, um, born and raised. And there was, I mean, like, to the point where McLean is a pen name. And um, I have a very, like, I have a very, very Italian real name. Um, And I have seven middle names, including the patron saint of my Italian family, and like many other names that come from Catholicism. So like, I grew up with like Italian Catholics, and um, in a very Italian, like, in, a, in what we refer to as an Italian Catholicism because, <laughs> like, of where I grew up in Rhode Island, which is a, a largely Catholic. Interestingly enough, uh, Rhode Island exists because the Catholics were kicked out of Massachusetts. And so Interesting. They and they, like, started a Catholic church in Rhode Island. Oh. Um, so I grew up with a lot of Catholics. Um, and I Providence is um, one of – we. I mean, I grew up in the shadow of the Boston – of the spotlight – um, yeah, the like that was all happening while I was a kid. Yeah, um, in Rhode Island, um, and Boston, of course, is the nearest. Like, there's a city in Providence. There's a city in Rhode Island, Providence, but Boston's the closest large city. And like that, what was happening? Yeah, during those spotlight years, like in the Catholic diocese in Boston, was monstrous, and people were talking about it when I was yeah. growing up. Um, and my mom, who was not Catholic, was having literally none of that business. Like, um, and my my brother was an altar boy and um, a priest who uh, 
was one of the priests in the church um, where he was an altar boy, took all the kids um, to the Y one day and they were um, – and my mom found out that they were swimming naked and uh, so that was it. Like yeah. She, she pulled that – she pulled him fast from the church. We moved churches. Yeah. Um, and my mom sort of like was never – into yeah. that. And then after that, we sort of stopped going to church, too. Like, we went, we were high day and holiday Catholics. Um, and I want to just speak, I want to say this because it turned out that that, that priest um, was one of the priests that was named actually recently mm-hmm. in uh, as as a um, priest who had a file. Yeah. He's dead now. And that's great. I'm yeah. really glad that he is. Um, but there are, um, but so there is so much to unpack about the church. And what's interesting is that I think that reading this book, in, we talk all the time about like, well, when I read the book, when it came out, it was a different feeling. But like, what's really weird about this is that this book is a different feeling for me. And only four years later, like mm. all that, the history, the piece of the, and I mean, not that that stuff didn't exist four years ago. I just think now we're all talking. I think we're talking about it more. I think Spotlight did the work. Did a lot of work, um, and put it all in in our in our faces. Um, and I think, obviously, personally for me, like knowing, getting the telephone call from my mom saying, like, yeah, this priest's name was in the newspaper. Like, it's a real. This is a real thing. Can I just ask a question? You did you see Spotlight? Spotlight came out in 2015. Do you remember if you saw it before or I after? I saw it. No, after. I didn't go to the theater. Like I saw it like on TV. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, later. Well, those were the dark years when pop culture dies when you have a baby in your house. Oh yeah, that too. Right. Monsters. I mean, when I like back at 2003 and 2004, people were like remember that huge hit. Remember? The-? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember like. Seeing pictures of um, oh, what that adorable man? What's his name? Who plays the Hulk? <laughs> Mark Ruffalo. Yes. <laughs> like I, yeah, in frumpy clothing. That's all. I, and then and then like years, several a couple years later, I think like one Saturday night, my my husband was like, "Let's yeah, watch let's, it. Let's watch Spotlight. Let's watch this fun great, movie. It's a great Saturday night movie. Yeah. Um, and very very enraging. And I think um. What's what's really interesting is that is this question that kept also I want to say I read this I reread this time in audio. Oh yeah. And I want to pause for a second because I realize I'm talking a lot about a lot of heavy stuff. So like I want to pause for one second, just be light for a second. In that holy bananas cats, <laughs> this audiobook is on fire. Like yeah. the uh, the narrator is whoa woof so (laughs) highly if you liked it in print try it in audio um but what's interesting for me when i listen to an audiobook and i don't as you know i don't listen to a lot of audiobooks um is that i can sort of have a dialogue yeah because i'm not going as quickly right the audiobook is slower than the reading experience and so while i'm reading i can sort of turn off my brain and just do the reading. Whereas when it's audio, it really does feel like an like a dialogue. Every word, every word counts right. in audio. So what I wanted to talk about was this way that Sierra seems to be having a conversation about what's wrong with the church every in every moment that Tyler is feeling guilt. Mm-hmm. There's um so Tyler 
thinks that his lust for Poppy and then ultimately his lust that he acts on with Poppy, like, he is committing a sin, right? He is given, he is married to God. He has given his life to the church. He's a priest. Like, this is a massive tenet, although literally this week the Catholic Church just decided to deaconize, to, like, uh, whatever, not the opposite of laicize <laughs> people, uh, married people in the in South America, yeah. so that there could be married priests because they are short on priests. This all said, like you have to fundamentally feel like for this book to work, for Tyler to work, and for Tyler's conflict to work, you have to fundamentally feel like okay, when a priest says they're married to God, they're married to God. Like celibacy is the big one, and so. He's struggling with this guilt, and his guilt is very much like what I am doing to Poppy, with Poppy, is problematic to the extreme that what happened with it's, – it's, it's connected in some way and feels similar to what happened to my sister. And fundamentally, that's false. And I think it's a really interesting thing that Sierra does where she both hands you Tyler's guilt – and absolves him of his sin at the same time, right? Like, yeah. And what I'm, the, what I mean by that is, Tyler and Poppy are two consenting adults, and there isn't a power structure beneath, like, between them aside from when they're having sex and he's doming her, because she's not a Catholic, right? So he, she's not a member of his flock. He doesn't have any response. Like, there's no power. It's actually really deftly handled the power dynamic. Because if she were his parishioner, it might feel squickier. But instead, it just feels like it feels super dirty. Sure. But it, when every time he says, like, what happened to my sister? Like, am I perpetuating that by virtue of, like, continuing to wear the collar? The answer for, like, a normal person is, like, no, you guys are into it together. Like, just take the collar off. Yeah. Un- unlike, like. Nobody wants to send Tyler Bell to prison. Sure, of course not. And I think in some ways the it, – it's like I, I really mixed feelings about it and I'm going to put it in like kind of two ways. Like well, I absolutely right. You're, I agree with you 100%, right? But when the author, right, in this case when Sierra Simone introduces into the text the question of – my sister was my sister not only was my sister treated this way was she was molested but it's clear there's a implication that the former priest in the parish had also yes. done something this is someone different and that he really feels to, this, uh, to the parish right like, that he, i got the sense that he was like a, right in like a bad yeah dude. right I, i'm assuming molesting boys yeah so she introduces this into the text to show us that what Tyler and Poppy has is different, and it is. But the thing that I struggled with is yeah. several times in the text, Tyler feels a sense of, like, completeness and wholeness with God when he's with her, which I believed. Mm-hmm. But what I felt like it then introduced in the text that maybe was inadvertent on her part was what I was left feeling was is like, well— how do I know these other priests who aren't molesting kids? How do I know they weren't? They didn't feel the same way. Mm. And like, like I think a lot about Spotlight. Like, there's that scene where she goes to the door, and the guy's like, "We were all doing it. It was fine. Nothing was wrong with it." And so I think I don't know if that makes sense or not. If I'm like really explaining well enough. So yeah, like when you're God's, saying if a priest believes that, well, this is you. This is this is me, Jen, big doubter. 
if a this is you, athe- like atheist Jen, right, or agnostic Jen, like is saying, if a priest believes that they are, if Tyler can believe that in this moment yeah. of pure sin, yes, God has blessed him, he is closest to God. Is it possible that all these other priests who were literally sinning, yeah, are felt the same way. way? Yeah, and that is woof. Yeah, and you know what? I will be really honest. I think that's what people who are still Catholic have to grapple with. (laughs) I don't have to grapple with that at all. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. You're able to say, Tyler's fine. These other guys are monsters. Yeah, because I'm no longer part of that organization, right? And it's interesting because I was looking at Amazon reviews for the book. (laughs) And, like, they're fascinating. I bet they are. I bet they are. Because there are some Catholics in there who are not happy sure with what is being portrayed um and there is this sort of irony to it because so okay i i have so much to say me too no i was just gonna say i but i think that is okay that the book does that in some ways because i feel like if you are choosing to stay catholic in a world where the catholic church where like my mom's neighbors are trumpers and they go to church every weekend like my like this if you are staying part of an organization that has suppressed the rights of women and people of color and right done all this shit and you're still a part of it then you have to grapple with that and i feel like what it introduces into the text felt to me i was like Bleh. but if you're still so i think it's brilliant right i think it's brilliant well because here's the other piece of the puzzle so same right my mom's friends lots of them are trumpers but like a lot of them aren't trumpers and still go to church yeah there are a lot of relaxed and groovy catholics here's what's interesting uh this town in missouri uh relaxed and groovy catholicism town <laughs> because um, what's her name? Millie is yeah. like the chillest. She's like, oh, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, she basically like sets them up. She's like, you should have her come over and help with the pancake breakfast. <laughs> like Millie. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so like Millie and like the parishioners and at the end, there's this whole like Millie's basically like the parish is with you. Like we understand that what has happened between you and Poppy is different than what happened to us before. Yeah. His bishop is like, yeah, this happens. Like you fell in love with somebody. It's really interesting. So this like relaxed and groovy town, Missouri, is like. Apparently, right over the border from Menage County, Kansas. Because, like, of course, obviously, it's, it's Sierra Simone's Midwest, <laughs> right? sure. And you know what? I think it's it's like that's really it's really fascinating to me how much she is layering in. I mean, considering how claustrophobically we are in Tyler's point of view, yeah. The, what is she is doing with secondary characters is really fascinating. Yeah, right. Because there really isn't like there's no one. That's, I mean, she's really fast. She did this with Misadventures of the Curvy Girl, too. Like, there are, there's basically no one in town who has a problem with this. It's like outsider yeah. who has a problem, but it's actually not a problem with. Yeah. But you know what, though? I wonder if that's also the, that's also damning because he says that there's this line, right? Like that once, this his family came forward with what happened to Lizzie. The people in the town turned against them. So it like yeah. cuts both ways. And I yeah. feel like this is like the brilliance of the book. It's like if you want to belong, we talk about this right insider outside st- stuff all the time. What do we excuse from insiders? What do we expel people from the group from? Like this book right. is playing around with it, but in a lot of ways, sure. I mean, there's a big question of like, I don't know. I don't know if this is relevant. 
I'm going to say it because it feels like in my head it's relevant. And then we can you can just say, like, what are you talking about? There's this bit, this Eddie Izzard bit that I've been talking about recently because I've been thinking a lot about how Trump is monstrous and all the people who work for him are monstrous. And when the things that they're like, they're basically committing like the biggest crime that you can commit um, in terms of like election fraud, like they're they're threatening a democracy. Right. Um, Which feels immensely treasonous. I mean, is treasonous. Right. And I feel like at the end of this, even on the in the best case scenario, like the end of this, it ends in, in impeachment and also um, like and he just disappears. Right. Like he's not going to get punished. Like he's not going to jail. No. And I think there's this bit with Eddie Izzard where he talks about and I, I can't even remember the joke. I mean, Eddie Izzard is so funny and surely there was a joke, but where he's basically like. Pol Pot killed 1.7 million people. We can't even deal with that. I think, you know, we think if, if somebody kills someone, that's murder. You go to prison. You kill 10 people. You go to Texas. They hit you with a brick. That's what they do. <laughs> 20 people. You go to a hospital. They look through a small window at you forever. And over that, we can't deal with it. You know, somebody's killed 100,000 people. We're almost going. Well done. Well done. You killed 100,000 people. You must get up very early in the morning. And I wonder if, like, what if there's some piece of that going on here where, like, the church turns, like, whether, whether, um, Sierra is think is writing about this kind of um, the church turns against Tyler's family because Tyler's family suddenly is speaking atrocity. Yeah. Un, like something that we can't help but look away from. Like decent people look away from this because it's, it's too hard to too understand, much right? To stare at. Yeah. And I think um and I think what's interesting is that there are there is this kind of constant sense in the book, this like foreboding sense of like, are we getting to to the point where we can't look at ourselves anymore? Except then it's an inspirational romance. Like, it's a really weird... Yeah. There's so much going on. I'm sorry, but fin- but answer. I don't know if that made sense. Did no, that make it's, sense? It's del- I think, it, you know what? Here's what I'm going to say. Every single time we fucking record, I'm like, none of that made sense. And then I listen to it. And I'm like, it's great. It's fine. So, <laughs> no, but I mean, I think we're when you grapple, like, right, like, there's this phrase I use a lot where actually when I talk about books that are trying to do something big, right? And I say, like, they're out hunting big game. Yeah. Sierra Simone is out hunting big game. And yeah. when you do that, when you raise the stakes this high, then people are going to be grappling with all kinds of weird ass shit while they are doing it. And that yeah. is I I uh, even if this book was not for me, yeah. I still appreciate deeply anyone who's out there doing something big and showing the bigness that romance can do. Yeah. So I don't, I, you know, it's like I like the fact that I personally found a lot of this. And it's really funny because the things that you were warning people against, like, oh, they have sex in a church. I was literally like, yeah, I don't give a shit about that. You know what <laughs> grossed me out in this book way more than anything else that he kept I calling know. her lamb. And Love it's that. funny because people <laughs> in the past were like, oh, I, I didn't like this book. You know, there's a Tessa Bailey book where the hero keeps calling the heroine um, baby girl. And people were like, Ugh. and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Who cares? Who cares what people call each other? And then I read this book and every time I was like, okay, it's kind of sexy. I'm getting there. He'd call her lamb. And I was like, get it out of my mouth. It tastes disgusting. <laughs> and I think, again, it's because it was that like reminder, like all I, and, and this is, again, this is not her fault. Jennifer, the reader, 
having the experiences I've had and the people in my life and being yeah. part of the Catholic church I was or or then refused to be a part of was like, this is how priests that molest people think and act. And even though this is consensual and fine, I don't want it. I don't want ba- I don't want little lamb anywhere near Let this. Let me ask. Ew. Okay, I mean, like l- lamb worked fine for me. Like <laughs> lamb great. worked more than it probably should have for me. But the <laughs> so I mean, but let me ask this question: Did you buy Tyler's? Like essentially, he, Tyler's doing penance, right? Like yeah, Tyler sure. finds his sister's body. Yeah, he cannot. There's a whole. I love that bit where he's like fastidiously clean because he made her. He made right. the body dirty. Yeah. Um, like there's so much, like he is clearly feels as though he is somehow culpable, right? He overslept. If only he'd woken up earlier, if only this. And I mean, like, look, I thank God have never, have never had to grapple with this kind of like discovery in my life. Right. But I can, it all felt incredibly real to me. Like I can totally see how you would end up grappling with your guilt so much that you essentially do penance by, Trying to fix it for everyone. Yeah. And so his answer is not like, is is how do you fix it from within? Yeah. Which is bonkers, but also like Catholic Church not going away. It's not going away, Jen. Like decent Catholics are our best hope for how to fix this. I'm glad you believe that. I mean, if the no, I, realistically, I mean, like, look, I'm not going to church to fix it, but like, it feels to me like realistically, the Catholic Church is a behemoth, and the yeah. odds of us like, sure, like cutting off its head, but that's but that's why I'm out, right? I don't spin my wheels in organizations that aren't going to change. Like, it's not no. worth my time. But so the question is like. When do I leave America? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. But here's the interesting thing, right? Because, like, in an institution that holds this much power, the only way that you can conceive of that kind of change is by, beca- like, is by, it's it's being a member of the resistance, right? Which, of course, like, roll your eyes, bleh. And ultimately doesn't function. Like, yeah. Tyler leaves. He can't, like, uh, the, there is an interesting question here, right? Because, like, he can't stay. Right. And fix it. And frankly, if he had stayed, he couldn't have fixed it. So, like, his best bet is get the fuck out. Yeah. And I here's what I would also say. Like, Tyler, I think the book argues that Tyler's mistake was that he needed to get right with God and he tried to get right with the church instead. Yes. Yes. And that's why leaving is the right thing. Because the church was never the problem or the issue, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. his, he was finding his way back to God was what Tyler needed to do. Which is what makes this book such an inspirational for me. And that's fair. So I've said this from the start. Like, I think that this is one of the, be- I mean, I don't read inspirational romances because they're frankly not sexy enough for me. Yeah, this this was sexy. <laughs> this, but what's really interesting here is like there are definitely moments there I, on multiple occasions. He's like, God is. I've never felt more holy. I've never felt closer to God. I've never like God is here when I am with Poppy. Right? You right. brought up. You brought up those scenes. He walks into the church at one point and Poppy is praying at the altar and he's or standing at the altar and he thinks to himself, God is here. God and is he's here. Talking to Poppy, and then they fuck on the altar, and so Fine. of course. 
And by the way, none of that bothered me, right? Like, (laughs) in fact, it was after he stopped, once he was with God and not with the church, I was like, okay, this isn't my jam, but I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I think ultimately, like, yeah, it's interesting because I think in all of Sierra's books, there is a kind of negotiation with an institution. Yes. And... Interestingly, like I think about a hot cop, right? That which is a police officer book, um, and that police officer is like advocating for body cams, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's the like the leader of the body cam initiative in his town, which is probably Kansas City or somewhere near Kansas City, because that's where she writes most of her books. Sure. Um, and so I think I think these things are interesting because I think she I think she is. Like you said, she is doing heavy lifting. She's hunting for big game beyond romance. Like it's one of those moments last last week we had um, the Jobs episode and Adriana Herrera, you know, said online like she thinks that we're we're having like she likes to listen to us because we're always having this converse these conversations about more than romance, like the places romance can take us. Yeah. And I think what Sierra is doing, and this is why I put her, I put this book on the list. Like what Sierra taught me is that, is that romance can take us to this kind of dialogue about an institution, problematic institutions in our society. Like, yeah, which is bananas. Cause also like he anoints her with, you know, sacrament oil and has anal sex with her in his office. So like, it sure. doesn't feel like those two things would go together, but they do. But somehow they do. Um, yeah. I, I mean, also, I, Uh, What I was going to say, though, is, like, I think that's, like, really interesting. And I also think that's why um, it's a – I think it's the right choice, even though it's not my general favorite, to have single character point of view. Mm. Because if you – I was just going to go that way. Yeah. If you go to Poppy's point of view, you get to escape what is really Tyler's story of how he is grappling with like God in the church yes. and himself as a man. Yes. And that that story and you know what it's 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 often we talk about you know like this is sometimes one character story is just like primary and in some ways I see Poppy when she comes to the church as really this is like she's already decided what she needs and what she's going to do she's changed her life right. she's moved to this town she knows who she is she knows what she's good at she's going to make a living and the, that bad experience with like you know SJ Fielding the 59th whatever the fuck his name is is was like a bump in the road that she like kind of has to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I think that in that way, she is so much, she knows who she is. Mm -hmm. We don't need her point of view. What Mm -hmm. we need, this is Tyler's story. And therefore it's, it's not satisfying in some ways. We don't get all that from her, but I don't, I think it would have completely destabilized like the, the guilt spiral that we are in. Well, yeah, because anytime, listen, Literally, the only way, the only reason why this book works as a romance is that you see, you have to believe you, Jen, and I, Sarah, who don't necessarily care if a priest remains celibate, right? As long as it's a consenting adult relationship. Sure. Fine. Do whatever. Go with God, if you will. (laughs) Come with God, maybe. So. Nicely done. So, You're welcome. But if you you and I, in order for this book to work for us, we have to believe it. Yeah. She has to convince us that Tyler's guilt is founded. Yeah. Is well-founded. And if he 
if she takes us out of Tyler's point of view for any length of time and puts us into Poppy's point of view, Poppy, who is utterly reasonable and is basically like, I don't understand. We're two consenting adults. Just love me. Right. I love you. Right. Then then we as the reader are lost to the guilt because we're like, yeah, what Poppy said. Like, Poppy's right. Just Poppy's right. Poppy. Just calm the fuck down. But when Poppy says, like, that, one of the best scenes in the book, in my opinion, is when um, Poppy says, like, they're in bed together and she's about to tell him that she loves him. And yeah. he says, don't say it. Yeah. And it's because, and she's like, I don't understand why. Like, it's true. It's yeah. true. And you love me too. Right. And he's like, I can't feel feelings. Like, feelings are complicated, which is why Andy Christopher is wrong and Tyler Bell is an alpha and not a beta. But that's a whole Oh, yeah. I mean, I gotta (laughs) say, I did go back and listen to Andy talk about him possibly being a cinnamon roll. And I was like, no man this guilty and caught up in his own fucking feelings is cinnamon anything. Yeah, no, but not just caught, like, truly caught up in them. So caught up in his feelings that he can't feel them. Like, he's like, I I don't even know what to do with my feelings. Yeah, I don't think he takes great care of her. (laughs) You know what I mean? And at all. He absolutely doesn't. He's a shitty, shitty hero for a long time. Until, ironically, she leaves him. And then he's like, well, I guess. Now I have to figure this out. I'm going to let her leave me. Yeah. And that's going to be heroic. And then he realizes. Well, it's really, shit, there's so much fascinating shit going on in this book, I have to say. One of the parts, I I did want to kind of talk about this question of, like, God versus people. And I th- and I'm going to induce Fleabag. I'm going to talk about Fleabag for a minute, even yep. though you haven't watched it, because there's two. Fine. She at some point, Fleabag, who's a character, talks to two older women about her crush on this priest, and one is a therapist, and she tells the therapist she has a crush on a priest, and the priest says, "Well, do you want to fuck him or do you want to fuck God?" And it's this really fascinating moment because, of course, I had just read this book where. Tyler does not want to fuck God, right? Like he really, this is not what is it. And I don't think Poppy does either. This really is about them as people, right? Like that is not the, it's it's a really interesting question that she asked, but that was not the dilemma of this book. Mm-hmm. But later on, I think it's either in that episode or the next one, Fleabag meets another older woman played by Kristen Scott Thomas. And just Fleabag's like, well, people are terrible. And this woman says, but people are all we have. People mm-hmm. are all we have. And I feel like that is what, spoke to me more in terms of, like, understanding this book, like, these two dichotomous, like, like women sort of giving her advice about this, is Tyler is like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to return to God, I'm going to return to people, but his relationships with people are so yeah. distant and strange. He's not returning to people at all. He's skewing people and turning to higher, like... Yeah, he's hiding from people. Frankly, fucking mythology. Like, so here's something really interesting. So Tyler's middle name is Anselm. Mm. And I got really uh, so curious. Look, I know Sierra now, and I know she doesn't fucking like nothing's a mistake, right? Nothing's a mistake. So, like, I was like, who is Sa- I know there's a St. Anselm because I knew there was a St. Anselm College. <laughs> it's not not because I like learned my saints. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is so St. Anselm is famous for um, what is called the ontological argument um, for the existence of God. Like, basically, he made the first one, which and essentially what he said was if you can conceive something in your mind, then it must exist in reality, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can conceive it, Then, of course, there's, like, if you can conceive the greatest possible being, 
in your mind, then an even greater being must be possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever you can come up with in your in your brain, yeah. there is something bigger and therefore there must be a God, right? But mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is this conversation around like Tyler's whole identity is about what is outside of his reality, right? Like he can't yeah. look his reality in the eye. He can't deal with it. Any of it. He can't deal with his sister. He can't deal with his family. He can't deal with Poppy. He can't deal with, like, Poppy's stupid ex-boyfriend-ish. Right. Like, he can't even look his confessor in the eye. Like, he's, like, he can't do anything. All he can do is conceive of this, like, existent, this massive existential being. Yeah. He is so alone until he feels feelings. Well, and that's the part that the aloneness is really fascinating because he like lives in the rectory by himself. He even when he go there's a scene where he goes back to his family and it's just like full of guilt and weirdness and they play video games and they're all there but they're not really there and mom is crying in the kitchen and right and then he go I mean it's fascinating the ways in which he has really like removed himself from the world of people mm-hmm. to be with God and and Poppy is the one who like like saves him that scene with the mom is terrific so yeah that mom returns in sinner so sinner is sean his brother's story and um i don't think it's a spoiler to say that that mom develops has cancer in sinner Mm -hmm. and dies over the course of sinner um and it's i read sinner shortly after my my own father died and it was just one of those moments where, like, I read a, it was a book that I needed to read at a time. Yeah. Right. Also, fun fact we go right, it's very much like a 180 from like the depths of despair when the mom dies and then suddenly they're having anal sex with like sunflower oil in like a homeless shelter. So it's fine. <laughs> a soup kitchen. I think, <laughs> you know, it's really funny because people have talked about like these moments as being like, like literally profane. Yeah, but I really think no. And and again, it's I don't I'm not a believer and I it's funny cuz there's like the best word I ever just heard to describe like how I feel about God is was apatheist. I just don't care. The yeah. question of God's existence is not even one that's like interesting or important to me. Yeah. And because I feel that way, well, it doesn't impact yeah, you really. Right. You could prove to me that God would exist or not and I would think I would still act the same. Do we know him? Do I have to clean my house as he yeah. coming over? Right. <laughs> but the thing that I think is really interesting about her pushing the boundaries of of like things like this, like if they really had sex in homeless shelter or on the altar or in his office, is it's like, why have we decided that some spaces are holy and not others? And why have we decided that like God's creation, literally, like through sex, is in- inappropriate in those places? I right. think she's doing it on purpose. Why have we decided what is holy and what is not? Also, her use of Song of Songs is cracker jack i mean like <laughs> yeah because it is super dirty awake O north wind and come thou south blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits here's the other thing uh, you and i i i don't know about you but like i grew up catholic and i didn't read the bible until i got to like western civ class no no one reads the no catholics read the bible catholics <laughs> do not read the bible so like i mean i know we're gonna we're gonna get so much blowback from this episode but we know like a lot of catholics do read the bible we know but like 
like Catholic, I got to tell you, you guys, Catholics in Rhode Island do not read the Bible in catechism. Like it is just not a thing we do. No. Um, and I've been to a lot of church in my day and nobody has ever read Song of Song of Songs to me. Like I have never heard any of that dirty shit. In, <laughs> in, yeah. I've never heard any of it in church. And the reality is that stuff is in your Bibles. Yeah. Like once you read that, you're like, oh, my God. Right. But what I was going to say, I want to take it back just to the mom and, and like just put the bow on that before I move forward. And I want to talk about driving a Ferrari. Um, is uh, that that mom scene where the mom is crying and she's washing dishes and he goes in and he stands with her. He's not her son in that moment. He's her priest. Yeah. And it's really, it's such a beautiful, it's a beautiful moment of characterization for him. Like, mm-hmm. again, removing him from all things human and like establishing him as like purely this like existential being. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say, I want to also like come back around on first person because I do think uh, we've all, we've talked a lot already about like why we think it works so well and like what it does as a, as a authorial choice. Um, and, you know, you, when we were talking about um, Cressley and the, game maker series you talked about like that first we we generally felt like the professional was a misstep yeah um and i think and you said in that episode like it's like it's driving it's learning to drive a stick in a ferrari and i think that what sierra does in this is show you how you can drive first person like a ferrari yeah absolutely um She's like, and I do think, you know, yes, not to like, you know, beat the metaphor, but yesterday I was talking to Eric about this and and I was explaining this and I was like, it's true. Like, Sierra is a Formula One driver. Like, you maybe don't care that much about car racing, but like watching her drive is really remarkable. Yeah. I happen to really like Formula One driving though, so. I... I like to drive fast, so it's a metaphor that works <laughs> fine for me. Um, you know, I would say in terms of like the um, the actual book, the 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 misstep for me, but besides the little lamb thing, ugh, is um, not the, a misstep. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, every, literally every time I was like, okay, it's kind of sexy. I was like, <laughs> nope, I like it. For the record, I'm not alone. Sierra Simone's Facebook group is called The Lambs. Well, Sierra Simone's Lambs. I could never. Hey, whatever, fine. man. Sure. It's fine. That's a, it's all about me right now. Here's what I would say <laughs> is I think we should talk about the ending because I do feel like. Yes. I'm, and we haven't really talked about sex. Maybe we don't need to. It's just fucking spectacular. And I mean, we've referenced some of it. It's also, yeah, it's great. She writes a great sex. I think if you're really like what makes an erotic romance versus a romance, this book is really, you know, their sex, which starts out right on the altar or like him, like he never even kisses her. Like I know Jenny Nordbeck loves this, right? He like eats her out from behind. He like, you know, he like gives her oral sex before he kisses her. But their last sex scenes are ones where they're like laying in bed together. Like, right. Like it's totally that arc. It really shows they're married. Yeah. He marries, like he talks about it too. Like he's like, I married, I married her. It feels like what is there are there as he's coming out of his guilt and into like his humanity again. Right. Like as he's returning to earth, um, he is, 
he realizes like all of this shit is just bullshit. Like it's there's there is no reason for a sacrament for marriage. Like they're holy. Like this moment between them is holy. Like this is the sacrament. This is their marriage. It's no longer at the church. It's no longer in his office. It's no longer at the rectory. It's at her home. It's in it's their in bed, right? Yeah. And I think that that's like I if you're if you're ever like I don't get the difference between that, then this book will show you. I think what I would say is um, here's what I would say. It didn't work for me and, and you know, whatever. She's driving Ferrari and sometimes you grind the gears. But in a book where all of the conflict is internal, it feels like a bit of a cheat to have an external conflict then, like, sort of create the moment of crisis, which is um, the guy yeah. with the fucking photographs or whatever. I get it. I don't – I see why that didn't sit for you. But as a writer, I mean, I mean, this is how we – this is why people listen to us, Right. There is no way to end this, right? Like, this conflict, this internal conflict goes on until Tyler gets his head out of his ass. Yeah. And something has to happen to do that. Because she's already told him she loves him. Yeah. Millie has already said, what the fuck's wrong with you? His monk dude, the... I fucking love that monk. But, (laughs) like, who hears hears God talk to him? Everybody has given him permission. Right. And he refuses to take it. And so, like, something external has to happen. What I will allow is that it maybe comes too much at the end. Like, maybe it's not the, – the thread isn't laid. Yeah. But at the same time, like, Sterling's not relevant until Sterling is spoken into being. It's so – I mean, like, God, the name Anselm, like, makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Like, if he can't conceive Sterling as a – as conflict. We, the reader, are not allowed to have Sir Sterling as a conceptual conflict until Tyler is able to conceive Sterling. Yeah. I guess here's what I would say. And it, it I think it like harkens back to my like pro my my sort of conceptual problem with the text is that it wants to grapple with like the priest, the problems in the actual Catholic Church, but like not really. And I guess what I mean by that yeah. is here's what I mean by that. I think given what we know about how hurt real people are and how that comes out as being like, you know, people's lives splashed in the papers and your mom being like, I saw that priest's name, to have this, a consensual relationship, get that treatment didn't quite sit right with me. Yeah. I wanted an internal conflict about grownups to be solved as an internal conflict by grownups. And instead, yeah. it's, no, I get it, right? And that's again, this is uh, this is, I think, no, that's real. Look, it's a challenge, right? It's a, it's a challenge because, like you said, like she's hunting for big game, yes. And so, and this is a, it's not, it's just, I wouldn't touch this story <laughs> with a ten foot pole. And she not only, I mean, like you said, she drives it like a Ferrari. Cressley Cole wouldn't touch this story with a ten foot pole. Right. Like it's just it's a story that is too it's it's too big. Like what she's there's no because here's the thing. Happily ever after can't exist for the Catholic Church. These fuckers are doing terrible things and hiding and then other people are hiding it. Right. It can't until that is resolved. There is no possibility for the Catholic Church to be resolved in this text happily. And satisfactorily, right? The best thing we can ask for is for Tyler to leave. I mean, I here's what else I will say, though. I am not a person who ever has to read the end of a book first. 
Right. I'm like, it's going to work out. I know how this romance (laughs) thing is going to go down. I feel it. (laughs) This book, I literally, I think I got to chapter 14 or 15 and I was like, what the fuck is going to happen? I cannot, (laughs) I, I, I had to like read the end and I think it's because. What did you think would happen? You think she'd become a nun? (laughs) No. Happily ever after together? No. You know what it was? And I, I, I think it's like really funny, like. You talked about like leaning into this text, and I, yeah. it's I I fought this book the entire way. Yeah, I mean, I was literally like, "You motherfucker!" Like, you got, I mean, I think probably every time he's like, "Oh, I'm so guilty." I was like, "Mother," like I just right, and so like it was all those layers. It this was not a story I could like sit and listen to, and I think that that's the part that's really interesting then about the framing of it as a confession, which is also like a fascinating thing. Like, what? The in a romance, we are often asked to f- like forgive a hero for his wrongdoing, or right to like sort of see a couple forward or a, a group of people forward, or you know whatever it is the relationship forward. And in this case, I was really like I I needed to know when he left. I needed to know when he left because I was so like. What the fuck are you doing here? I know you're going to leave, but when? What's going to cause you to leave? Well, I do think there's something interesting because for me, the ending, um, she may, I had forgotten that he leaves and then they are apart. Oh, for like eight months or something. For a long time. Yeah. For like eight months. And he can't find her and he has to go back to Sterling to find her. Right. And I think um, there's, there's some cool things in there that I like. Like I like that. When he shows up at Sterling's office, the receptionist yeah. is like, oh, my God, you're that hot priest. Can we take a selfie? I know. Like, I like – there were some, like, very amusing little bits that come in at the end. But I had forgotten some – for some reason, because it didn't matter, right? Like, in my head, all the money is in the guilt, right? So, like, once yeah. he's no longer feeling guilty, then it feels fine, right? Like, then yeah. it's just the end of a romance novel, which is fine. Like, it's the down, the down slope. So, um, but – so – what I think was really interesting about the ending, though, is that they are required to spend time apart. They need to for him. Like, they have to. It's like it's like he's, you know, I think recently we've talked about AA as being a uh, – when did we talk about AA? I can't remember. But, like, they say, like, it takes – you're supposed to be sing- – like, you're not supposed to have new relationships for at least yeah. a year, right? And it feels – and so Tyler, like, she leaves – Tyler leaves the church. He has to figure out, like, he decides he's going to go to Princeton to get a PhD in divinity, I think. Or, like, I don't know what he's going back for. I can't remember. But, like, he goes to Princeton and then he's close to Poppy and then he goes to find her in New York and she's running, like, a nonprofit for dance. He goes to volunteer in Africa for eight months, too, though. He's digging yeah. wells or some shit like I mean, that. Whatever. Right? He's like he leaves, comes back bearded and you know skinny. I don't know. But and his dad's like those are real muscles. Those are like well digging muscles. <laughs> sure, right? totally. So fine, whatever. He does his thing. He like goes on walkabout. Yeah. He goes on. It's mission work. So like we and so I think there's something very interesting and meaningful and important in the fact that he has that he, they separate oh, absolutely. and then they come back together. We he needs to. I mean, they have to. There's no yeah. like you can't. He needs to she, be himself for a while. Like, take his collar off, hand it back to the bishop, like leave his keys on the table, and walk into no Poppy's house. No, he can't. He can't. And even though I, the I think the other the part where she essentially has like engineered the breakup because she didn't want him to leave the church and started feeling guilt. 
there's not enough support, I think, for her, like me to believe that her that about her really in a weird That's way. That's because you're not in her in her POV. Right, right, of course. We just don't know. The fli- it flips, right? She becomes the guilty party. Yes. And like we don't see her guilt. Yeah. Because it's not her story. It's not. So I mean, in that way, but yeah, oh, they needed to be a part. In fact, I was like, you could have used a little more time in cold storage, you dumbass. <laughs> well, what's interesting is it's almost as though Sierra knew this because there is a novella that follows this. It's called Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. And it's they are married. And um, is he still like a guilt-ridden D-bag? I mean, he still has guilt. I wouldn't say guilt-ridden D-bag, but like, <laughs> you know, that's what that's what Sierra does very well. Like she she the the sentence she writes a beautiful sentence, like all the way she writes about the Bible, the way she writes about the church, the way she writes about like all like all of this, like the way she writes about sex in church, like it feels it's beautiful. And so like, and she, she likes to wallow in this guilt. And so, um, but no, it's their marriage and their marriage is, is a struggle, right? Like it's like, because of course it is. Cause yeah. well, cause all marriages struggle, but like there's, but there's sure. this added layer of like, we, yeah, we, I can see that we are now married, but like, we have got to like, you still have a lot of shit going on in your head, Tyler. Sure, I can believe that. I can believe that people would want more. I just want it out of his point of view. That's fine. That's fine. You're allowed. But I I think that's an achievement, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying it like it's a bad I thing. I mean, essentially, yeah. Like, But what's interesting is, like, this Tyler needs therapy. Oh, yeah. He's like an IED hero. He needs therapy. He feels like he's failed. Mm-hmm. Like his sister, he feels like he's failed his family. He feels like he's failed his parish. And now, like, he's married and, like, who yeah. among us hasn't felt like we failed our spouse at one point or another? Sure. Like, Tyler does not handle that well. Yeah, I could see that. Tyler, get some therapy. Poor Tyler. <laughs> Go to therapy. Have a drink with your hot brother, Sean. Uh, for the record, Sean Bell gets his story in Sinner. Uh, there's a third brother who gets his story, uh, who is, she's planning to write his story. Oh, that's um, right. He has another brother. male, male. Oh, good. Okay. And uh, then there – and I am promised – and I'm, I'm speaking this into being on this podcast, but I'm promised that Jordan, film. <laughs> Jordan will ultimately get his story as well. Wait, the, like, monk guy? <laughs> Jen's like, what? <laughs> Ew. Let him just love God. Ugh. You do not have to read it. I yeah. won't put it on the podcast. You could just tell me but what happened. I'm going to like, text you lines from it. Does he – here's how it's going to work for Jordan. Jordan yeah. is going to actually alight into heaven and sleep <laughs> with the seraphim because he actually is, in fact, one with God. Or, wait, wait. Maybe he, he is God. God himself. Or herself. <laughs> or herself. Who knows? It could be anything. He is all things. Jordan I will say, things. I read I love this it book. When, my favorite is when he's like, when Tyler shows up and knocks on the door and Jordan opens the door and is like, motherfucker, get out of here. Yeah. I won't hear your confession. Here's what I'm going to say. I read this book and I was like, you dirty motherfuckers are going to want this holy guy to fall in love and fuck like crazy. And you're all sick. And look at me right yeah, now. You're like, I want it. Full of glee. I was like, I Ugh. do. I have. Look, I get it. <laughs> My faves are problematic. That's all right. But here's the weird thing is I feel like in this book, 
it's problematic. Like she know, like everything. Sierra knows. Oh yeah, she's having this moment. She's doing. It's a cycle of like. It's problematic. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's and now like, yeah. let's let's go there. And now like can can this be? She is constantly saying like, "What's the worst thing that can happen?" Like, let's. Yeah, I think it's in, in that it. sense truly like earns the name taboo, yeah. right? Because it really is asking questions about what we consider forbidden and why. Yeah. And even though this is not like my cup of tea that question is always going to be really interesting to me. Yep. And I think that that's why the book ultimately, like on an intellectual level, worked for me. Yep. What it didn't do for me, like I I read romance for big feelings, and I didn't have big feelings as I read this book. Well, you kept being pulled out. You were pulled out over and over again. Oh, yeah. Every every time. She said lamb. Tyler Tyler wasn't pulled out. (laughs) Tyler wasn't pulling out anything. Bless (laughs) Bless you, Tyler. <laughs> Hashtag bless. For you have sinned. <laughs> um, well. Did we cover everything you wanted to talk about, Sarah? I, we did. <gasps> I just want to say, like, I think Sarah's real smart. Oh, God, yes. Wait, can I tell you one I more? I got real mad. I got real mad while I was reading this again. I got real mad, and I texted her, and I was like, you, I hate that you are so good at writing <laughs> sentences. God, so. uh, God for me to be here. I'm going to tell you one Fun more. Fact, real f- oh, can I say something? Yes. Fun fact. Sierra and I and some other people in 2020 are releasing a set of contemporary novellas. Ooh, Sarah. Um, Because she and I are friends. And I was like, I want to write a contemporary novella. And she was like, you should do that. And I'll write one too. And they're all set in London and none of, but it, none of them are priests. No lambs. You're going to put the lamb word lamb in there somewhere. I'm going to be like, God damn it, Sarah. I'm going to put the lamb now in every book from now on. I'll Ugh. be like, Tessa Dare. <laughs> I'm putting lambs in every book. Wait. Okay. <laughs> let me end by telling you one really funny story about how far from the church I have drifted. So my <laughs> there's Starbucks across from my school. I don't think this will surprise anyone considering the diatribe on the church that you just delivered. Oh, so. it, oh please. I was holding back everybody. <laughs> I was with my friend Ernesto. There was a Starbucks across from school, and we're sitting in Starbucks one day, like probably around this time of year, like kind of early fall, and a man in costume walked in. I'm talking like full, like priest costume with like the, right, like the Was he wearing robes? It was not like a robe, but like, you know how they wear the one that's like a dress? Yeah. The black one? Okay. Like with a hat? He did not have a hat on, but it was like the collar and like a like a black instead of pants. It was like look kind of dressy. I don't know, whatever. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So he walks in, and I looked at him, and I was like, "Well, that's really fucking weird. It's not Halloween." Like I literally was like, "That's why is that man in costume?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's a real priest." And I looked at Ernesto, and I was like, "That's a real priest." He's like, and he said. I just saw that all happening right on your face. <laughs> like, it didn't even occur to me that, like, a real priest was going to buy a $5 latte. I live in New York City, like, two blocks from a church, a Catholic church, and I never, I've I have never seen a priest on the street. So, I mean, I'm sure I have. I'm sure the priests in this church walk around. But, like, seeing somebody in full priestly garb is That's not real? exactly, like, normal. But it's also probably not normal to be like, it's Halloween. It's like, when was the last time you saw a nun? (laughs) I don't know, man. One of my favorite professors in college was a nun, actually. She was amazing. Did she wear the habit? No. She was super cool. 
Why do you think it's called a habit? To keep you praying. I don't know. Like the habit of praying. You think? (laughs) We're going to get to the bottom of that. All right, St. Anselm. I will look it up in show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I know you will. You're so good at show notes. Jen does all of our show notes. Anyway, we are way over time. Please. Everyone's like, but you didn't talk about all those things. I know. Um, So please send all hate mail to Jen at fatedmates.net. Um, cause she's the one who said all the bad stuff. Sure. <laughs> fine. I accept it. Um, no, but we'll, so we'll post a, um, a post to Facebook, to the Facebook group, uh, when, uh, today yeah. on Wednesday, um, and you'll be able to come in and talk to us. Um, do tell us what you think and, um, what, what this book did for you. Um, but I, I like, I think this episode was good cause you know, yeah, they sure. got both sides for sure. It's a brilliant book. It's fine that, like, my feelings yeah. weren't in it. Exactly. What are we reading next? Is it Indigo or Lord of Scoundrels? Those are the next two, but I don't know if we decided in order. Let's do Lord of Scoundrels, because I just I just got you a copy. Let's lighten it up a little. Oh, you did. Signed by Loretta Chase. I have Loretta Chase signed by <gasps> I, like, caressed it. It was really something. We'll put it on Instagram. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's Lord of Scoundrels then in two weeks. Yeah. And then after that, we'll do Indigo because we did want people to give like a couple in advance, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll go Lord of Scoundrels and then in two weeks, Indigo. Um, and, but next week we have an interstitial, um, as per usual. And, um, also you should know, uh, is there anything that you need to know about Lord of Scoundrels? I mean, it was written in 1993 or four, so it's the regular thing. It's all the things. Remember all of those things. Um, also, uh, two things. One, if you haven't read it before, it is widely believed to be one of, if not the best romance novel ever written. So we'll talk about that and, and have a, have a, a noodle about whether we still agree with that. Um, and also, it has probably one of the best prologues ever in oh, the history God, of romance. Yeah. So if you are a person who does not read prologues, first of all, monster. Second you of all, should read this prologue. Stop dragging Aaron. I can't believe I have to say that, Aaron, <laughs> from Eving Bosom. Okay. Um, we are Faded Mates. Uh, uh, you want to talk about the phone number? Oh, yeah. You can leave us a voicemail. So at the end of our episodes now, we're leaving. You'll hear readers um, speaking up and telling us what books they were, what books blooded them. You can tell us what book blooded you. Uh, the United States number for that is 646-450-3766. You will never, ever see that in print anywhere. You can only get it in your ear holes. And if you are interested in buying Romance Landia buttons and swag for us and several other podcasts, you can do it from my best friend Kelly at my shop at jenreadsromance.com. And then you just click on shop. Maybe it's hashtag like slash shop, whatever. Um, and we, yeah, let's just say, don't forget to like and subscribe in your favorite podcasting platform. We are produced by Eric Mortensen. And happy anniversary, everyone. Hi, this is Christina. I'm 39, um, and I'm a mom of two. And you might hear my kids in the background screaming for me, but that's okay. Um, I just want to call in and say how surprised am I that no one has mentioned the Thornbirds by Colleen McCullough. And so, Lila, hold on. Hold on.
is this just a Catholic thing? I don't know. Uh, every single Catholic girl I know has read the Thorn Birds and loves the Thorn Birds. And it is not about the priest. Oh, no one wants that ickiness, but I'm pretty sure that every single Catholic girl out there has read the Thorn Birds and is the book that blooded them. Um, I remember as a kid, not just reading it, my mom had a copy. I now have a copy. It's just sitting here on my bookshelf. It's one of those books I can never get rid of. But also watching the miniseries. Oh, I can watch that miniseries over and over and over again. And I have memories from being a teenager and watching it with my mom and grandma who all love that miniseries so, so much. So there, the Thorn Birds. Uh, I think that has to have some sort of universal appeal. Bye.